Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Breakfast with Brokers. I am here with Donald Brennan from our Brooklyn shops, and he's going to give us a little insight into the Brooklyn market uh, so we can get some people from Jersey to Brooklyn and from Brooklyn to Jersey. So here we go. All right, we are here with Donald Brennan, who owns three Angle and Volkers in Brooklyn across multiple different cities. Uh, he, we had this awesome first part of this where he goes into each um, neighborhood and tells us about the market in each one. And for some reason, this lovely podcast just deleted all of it. So we have another 41 minutes of amazing, amazing information. Uh, but if you want information on the specific markets that Donald covers, um, he can deep dive into in person. So by all means, um, listen to the end of this podcast. Uh, one of the last minutes, he gives all his contact information and he can go into that. So sorry, we lost the first 15 minutes. Uh, but here we go with the rest of it. Tons and tons of information regarding the market, who's moving there, where you want to move to, where is it going right now? Um, what are the hot spots? Are there any good deals left in Brooklyn? So ton and ton and ton and ton and ton of stuff to talk about. Um, so sorry we missed those first 15 minutes, but here we go with the rest of it. Sorry about that, technical difficulties. Um, I think you were talking about... Yeah, we're talking about how the kind of the trepidation in the fall yes, of, fall. of, of buyers. Yes. <laughs> you know, anything that we had in the market... Um, <clears throat> understandable, understandable. Interest rates have, have moved tremendously uh, yeah. from where they were in January um, of last year. And um, so, but it reminded me of 2009 where, where some of the kind of narrative seemed to be kind of the buyer pool got together and they all agreed on this is what we're going to say to the sellers and something along the lines of that's crazy. No one's ever going to pay that price. Right, right, right. That's all pricing. <laughs> so, you know, as a seller, you know, representing a seller, you kind of bite your lip and you just kind of look at them and like, well, you know, we, we set the price on this last month, not not last year. And, right. um, and we think this is fair. So it kind of is part of the cycle in my experience of like, certainly there's going to be people coming out. There's going to be people who, who for one reason or another, um, don't want to pay what you're asking ever, right? Yeah. And they, but they also see it as opportunity. And uh, some people can for negotiation. You know, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, or just thinking it's a real opportunity, like things are going to continue to collapse. And um, I just find that that's, you know, I've seen it enough where I'm not saying it, it can't get worse, right? It, it's I'm, I would never say that. I don't have a crystal ball, but the, the perception most times by the the masses and or, or the people out there looking at you, vocalizing what they're thinking, aren't really matched with what's actually happening or unfolding yeah. um, or they're way too far ahead of it um, to 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 get a deal done um, whereas sellers going to capitulate because sellers usually don't capitulate unless there's a unique circumstance where mm -hmm. somebody has to get out of a property for, right. for you know um, death divorce and distress mm -hmm. kind of as the three three major ones um, but most resales um, I, I find that sellers don't just kind of they'll make adjustments right they're not gonna They'll be patient and, and wait, and um, that's that's what's happened. And certain assets that we had in the fall who were drawing some attention and didn't get deals done, we've now kind of successfully put those into contract at or close enough to those asking prices anyway. So there's still buyers out there. The pool yeah. of buyers at certain price points were a lot of activity in the three and a half to four million ish range for 
kind of the largest kind of segment of our, our buyer and seller clients. We go above and below there, obviously, but um, that was the most active for us last year in Brownstone, Brooklyn, and um, they're still there. There's just less of them as buyers, right? Because the, the, again, the buying power is being diminished significantly. So that was actually my next question for you. Is like we I've seen an alarming amount of all cash deals, whether they're true all cash or you know people financing themselves. Yeah. But it's I've never seen this many all cash deals. I mean, I have mortgage guys that I've worked with for my you know my entire career that are yeah. like, where are you? I'm like, I swear to God, like it's not. I didn't. I'm not cheating on you. Yeah. I have people literally coming to the table with two million dollars cash, like in an account. Yeah. And is that like, are you guys seeing more of that as well, or are you still seeing financing? Because here's the thing, like yes, six seven percent, very different from three percent. But yeah. I think we can all like. Anybody in this business knows the days of three and two and a half percent are done. So, like, if yeah. you're trying to get wait for that, you're yeah. you're just wasting time. Um, for sure, is that is those cash buyers? Um, I'll answer your question, but I just want to uh, yeah, yeah. learn: is there um, are those are they demanding some significant discount off of the asset no. with that cash, or are they just they're coming to where the sellers are and the, there's buying yep. cash? Because we have an inventory mm-hmm. shortage by us, so, mm-hmm. so the Hoboken Jersey City market we. We had like I think there's 47 condos on the market as of this morning. Yeah. Properties, yeah. not condos. So yeah. we're talking everything from a three-family home down to a studio apartment. Yeah. There's 47, I think. Yeah. This time last year there was 89, yeah. and this time three years ago there was 125. So we yeah. are like so desperate for people to put their stuff on the market. Now we're yeah. sitting on some listing contracts, so we're yeah. we're thinking the next couple months that's going to even itself out a little bit. Yeah. But the demand is so exceeding supply at this point that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where they can't kind of walk in and be like, regardless of how they're paying, yeah. they're fighting against 15 other people for the same property. Yeah. So they're, it, it, the sellers are just like, we don't care, yeah. basically. So that, that dynamic there, right? the old supply-demand dynamic right, right there kind of erases a lot of this adjustment in, in, in borrowing rates for the moment, right? right. We see it kind of, again, nothing ever stays the same. It's always kind of evolving. But yeah, so our cash buyers, they are there. Uh, the things that we happen to put in contract more recently are, are uh, financing uh, buyers and financing contingent buyers mm-hmm. who are you know, 80-20 kind of split still and that they're going to pay the rate and they yeah. pay, they're paying pretty much asking price for the things that we're trying to sell. So, so that was good because I was super nervous about that, right? Mm-hmm. But again, so many buyers last year, so many. Like pent-up demand, I think, is still present. Again, anybody who's thought they were moving out of their rental last year. Because rental prices are not going down, right? Rental so that was my next rental, question rental for you. Is, yeah. is continuing to escalate, right? Pushing, will push more people to become buyers um, if they can afford it. Uh, if they can afford the purchase price and the borrowing rates and so forth. Um, I don't know how many of those people may or may not be cash buyers. I, I, I don't know. But um, the, the, cash, the cash buyer we see a lot is the uh, multi-generational kind of parent um, through mm-hmm. gift or outright ownership uh, or shared ownership or something coming to the table. The great and, wealth transfer. Yeah, right. That's, that's uh, pretty much Happen. happening right now. And yep. it's a real thing. And heard that from so many people, uh, yep. so many different industries uh, recently about it's the greatest transfer of wealth ever. Ever. And New York City still, in my experience, interfacing with these these parents, grandparents, whoever, um, still always feel comfortable investing in New York City real estate um, yeah. for their for their children or grandchildren. So so that's good. So that's still present, right? So you know, as somebody said, I heard some some financial um, CEO talking about this kind of change in mortgage borrowing rates and the market kind of turmoil. It's like it's just it's the current weather. It's mm-hmm. not like 
it's not a, 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 a change in direction at a macro level uh, that we're, we're going to negatively impact everything. It's just we're dealing with the current weather, weather condition, and the current weather condition for borrowing is not so much different from what it was um, 15 Correct. years ago. So. My first condo was 6.5%, yeah. and we were doing a happy dance. Yeah. Like It was like <laughs> we were so psyched. And then I have yeah. people now that, and, and I understand, like now because the pricing has gone up, you're looking yeah. at like a 40% change yeah. of buying power. And it's yeah. not just the rates yeah. creating that you know that 9% differential. Then yeah. you also have the fact that these prices have risen so much. Yeah. Um, do you see pricing in your market continuing to rise, or do you think that will level off? Yeah, I've seen uh, pricing for townhomes um, continue to creep up. Um, everything's a little bit different. You know, there's no, it's not like just you know, one one statement covers everything. It depends. Location is still very important. The asset uniqueness is still important. Condition, so forth. All those things that always contribute to value. So it's not across the board, but. I was a little surprised when the, some, some homes were coming online late last year that those asking prices were even um, higher than they were in the spring. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's like sellers late to the party yeah. and, uh, and agents not, you know, for whatever reason, um, just going going with those numbers right, and right. trying to see what they can get. And, you know, maybe they're not wrong if in a, in a supply-constrained environment where there's enough buyers still, maybe not as many. Yeah. as there were in the spring of 22, um, but enough to get the deal done because of scarcity. Um, and townhouses in our marketplace are a scarce asset. There are a fixed number of townhouses in, in Brooklyn. And um, Same with Hoboken. Uh, and and we, we've seen the, yeah. the price growth and is, I mean, alarming. Yeah. Like, as someone who's in a three-bedroom right now yeah. with a child and was like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll pick up a brownstone whenever we can. And now it's like what the hell it, yeah. within like a year it's like yeah. not an option for us so it's yeah. like the that i've felt on a personal level yeah. and then i have clients that are like i'm sorry the same townhouse we toured two years ago is now a million and a half higher and it's like you know you could see it like yes we don't have a crystal crystal ball but you could it's land yeah. in a it's just a simple supply and demand mm-hmm. there is a very small parcel of hoboken yeah <laughs> it's one square mile yeah. and there's however many townhomes within that mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's supply and demand and then you have the the mental you know aspect of well we need more space yeah. what happens if there's another pandemic we need more space we need more space yeah. so i think to your point all of that is it, just been not so let, let's talk about pricing of your townhomes let's yeah. say and obviously there's wide range yeah. we we have it too you know tra- yeah. how, homes on hudson trade very differently than homes on you know second and jefferson sure um what Let's say a family comes to you and they say we have four million dollars for a brownstone in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Is that getting them a, a traditional like what we have in our head that Hollywood version of <laughs> a brownstone, or do you need more cash? Yeah, so it, it can certainly get you a home today in some neighborhoods. It wouldn't get you a home in the you know the most uh, desirable neighborhoods. Um, wow. Most desirable neighborhoods you know, achieved record. Average pricing last year, um, Brooklyn Heights coming at the top there. I think they were averaged uh, around eleven and a half million um, for a townhouse. Wow! And that townhouse most likely needed work on average, right? There's some developer spec stuff in there, but there's also generational handing over. You know, family that's been in there for the dumb waiter. Yeah. <laughs> So, so there's money, there's real cash that has to go into kind of fixing that place up. So that's at the top end of the range, and then you, you move down from there. But again, looking at the three and a half to four million uh, range that we were, we were very active in last year, um, 
that is still there. there. There's less of them. Some of those are kind of, you know, turnkey. Okay. Um, again, a lot of townhomes aren't turnkey. They're just kind of, again, coming out of uh, a generation or two of occupancy, maybe shared occupancy, maybe it's family members sharing a house. There's less family units trading out of those things. It's usually the, the parents who, who remain in the home and their adult children have gone elsewhere. Mm. Or, um, and then, you know, if they're passed, then it's an estate sale. Um, and estate sales are, um, the homes, uh, condition of those homes are usually, um, they, they require some attention. Um, yeah. uh, I see less appetite for buyers today to deal with homes that need attention. Then, then every year seems to get just fewer and fewer people who are willing to take on a project. Yep. My wife and I always kind of pride ourselves on like, we'll, we'll take the thing for the value play. Yep. We'll live in it regardless of how, you know. Same. Yeah, if it does, you know, a lot of people get turned off by it. So we see that as an opportunity. Yep. And I really encourage any buyer that I feel is like up for that to kind of really think hard about it. And like, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of short-term pain, but you're, you're you know, if your budget kind of, makes you kind of yeah. forces you that way then, yeah. then go with it and um but that underlying asset you know not i'm not saying things go directly up always go up but again any fixed asset in, in neighborhoods that you can't add supply to in any material way long term is population grows um your, your, your asset will appreciate over a longer term so so and I, i've always seen that right and some so sometimes maybe a bad time to buy but um uh it's never a bad time to buy. Maybe a bad time to sell, right? Is, is the end of mm. Barbara Corcoran face. Um, so, <laughs> well, that's interesting you mentioned that because we we had put out before the pandemic. Angela Volkers had put out the Henry report. I don't yeah. know if you got a chance. To yeah, yeah, I saw that. that. Yeah, that was like, it, it's Henry stands is an acronym standing for high earners, not rich yet. Yeah. And I thought the whole thing was fascinating because we had been seeing it, but we couldn't put our finger on what exactly was happening. And you had people come in and be like, oh, I'm okay with a fixer-upper. But their idea of a fixer-upper was replacing the doorknobs. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sanding the floors yeah. at some point. And then you were bringing them into, you know, these hundred-year-old properties. And they were like, absolutely not. This is a nightmare. Yeah. So it's interesting that that still post-pandemic is carried over. Like it's not, people are not willing. To, and I don't know if that was exacerbated because of the supply chain issues. Like mm-hmm. I went through a renovation of my home during yeah. this. Mm-hmm. It was a nightmare. I mean, yeah. three times what it was supposed to cat the cost. Mm-hmm. We ended up redesigning four times because mm-hmm. we couldn't get half the stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I felt that on a personal level. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine people doing this on, in a, a massive four-story brownstone. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's big. I'm not saying it's for everybody, right. and I'm not, I'm not criticizing people who choose not to take it on because it is a challenge and it takes time, and you probably can't even live there for a couple of years, possibly, while sure. you're getting the permits and carrying out the work. But it is the value add, especially okay. multifamily yeah. to a lesser unit count of two or one. That's an immediate pop in value of, of could be up to fifty percent of value right there just by changing, lowering the density of something. So. Yeah. So, um, so those are there, and um, and uh, but there's, there's many good choices and many well mature established neighborhoods that have great transportation, great retail, great schools. Um, that you know, still four million is going to get you a really nice home. Um, so let's let's talk neighborhood because mm-hmm. I don't know the first thing about Brooklyn, and you've yeah. been lovely. I remember Alex and Anthony and I came out yeah. there and you drove us around, and that was the <laughs> mo- the best education I could have gotten. Yeah. What, give me your top three most desirable neighborhoods, regardless of price. Top three that you people are like knifing each other to get into. Yeah. And then give me like top three that you think are potentially on the rise or the next ones coming up. Yeah. And so, maybe there aren't three. 
Yeah, so historically, I mean, there's, I'm going to go five on the top because it okay. moves a little bit, um, but, um, and these, and these are the neighborhoods that we focus on in Brownstone, Brooklyn. There may be some other neighborhoods in the southern part of Brooklyn down by the Atlantic that we don't cover that may have may have a higher average pricing and very small little kind of enclaves. Okay. But in the Brownstone marketplace, Brooklyn Heights will, will has always come in the top of that um, um, uh, group of, of highest priced assets. Um, it's completely landmarked. Um, it has, you know, it's, it's quite contained, not very large. Um, it was deemed to have the highest land values of anywhere in the country a few years ago when somebody pulled a report together based on uh, Fannie, Freddie Mae's lending practices of, of on a dollar per square foot basis for, for land or acre, um, on acre, uh, the most expensive real estate in all, all of the United States. So, wow. so that kind of that scarcity there and, and generally larger homes too. Um, one of the first areas developed of people coming out of Manhattan was mm -hmm. Brooklyn Heights. New York City's first suburb, uh, also known as, um, so some fairly grand homes there. Um, and then you kind of move south from there to Cobble Hill, uh, with the next, then Carroll Gardens. And somewhere between Cobble Hill and Carroll Gardens is Park Slope sometimes, depending on how many assets are trading. Park Slope is a very large geographic area compared mm -hmm. to Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, and Carroll Gardens. Um, it may be almost equal in those three neighborhoods combined as to what Park Slope is, uh, how you define it or how you may define it. So, so many more homes, um, but also very well protected block to block. Um, uh, Cobble Hill, a little less landmark protection for um, Carroll Gardens, even less. Park Slope has expanded its landmarking protection, and that whether you, whether you like that or not, it does it does help long term value. What do you mean by that landmark protection? So you know, assets, uh, existing homes, um, you you do any work to them, you have to get the landmarks preservation commission approval. Oh, fun! For yeah, so yeah. there's a little bit of cost involved for, <laughs> yeah. for ordinary maintenance, time, and so forth. But it does prevent from from developers or others tearing things down. Mm. And anything that is added, um, if there's a, a lot available, which is very rare. Um, your project is, is very well scrutinized by the community, the neighborhood, the community board, and landmarks. It has to go through this approval process, which again is a time, time um, uh, lengthening the total time of, of the rehabilitation. So, but I, I've, I've, you know, I've lived in Brooklyn Heights for 30 years, and uh, I, I value and, and really appreciate the people who are involved with that process at the local level mm -hmm. because um, I think it, it um, well, it may hold the total kind of residential count or the restrict expansion of, of new units to the market. Um, there's other ways to solve that, um, but the, the urban fabric that's been preserved, I think, is, is really kind of something special. Yeah. And, um, and, and clearly it's working if yeah. you're in the most, you know. Yeah, it was, but it's almost like the, the Hampton's Peconic tax, which I never realized existed. And was looking at a couple properties from an investment perspective. And I remember, like, I have family out there driving out there, and it's just land for it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, typical capitalist, I'm like, this should be building. Why are we not building more land, right? And we get out there, and we were looking at a couple properties, and sure enough, they're like, oh, well, there's this peconic tax. I'm like, what the hell is this? And yeah. it's like a significant tax. I mean, you're talking yeah. like 50 grand at closing. Yeah. And when you actually dive, my first reaction was, this is crazy. And then yeah. you actually dive into it, and it's, it's to protect your investment. They only release certain parcels of land. Yeah. And so that tax is to allow them to, to hold that 
that aspect. Yeah, it's, it's a preservation incredible. fund for land. Yeah, two percent yeah. of transaction prices over a certain threshold, or maybe it's scaled. I think it's bigger. Yeah, yeah. I've been on the North Fork for quite some time, oh. and I've had to pay that tax a number of times. <laughs> but yeah, it's a different type of control. Maybe a little too heavy-handed. Uh, yeah. But um, as long as they're using those funds for the right reason. It is only inflating the value of pre-existing real estate, yeah. uh, which is, I don't think, the objective. It's just the outcome oh. of those things. So landmarking has had that kind of unforeseen consequence, so to speak, from affordability. But, you know, again, it's it has a purpose, and I think it's, it's a legitimate way to protect urban fabric, which is about character and quality of life and so forth. Yeah. Um, so any neighborhood that has that type of protection, your asset value is going to be a little bit higher as the entry um, and are less susceptible to downturn um, devaluation due to whatever's happening down the block or next door. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of the top four, maybe four green, I think would come in there. Number five uh, last quarter, I'd have to check the report. Um, and uh, so, so those are kind of what you always see is in demand for townhouses, and there's there's tons of others, but those will be at the top. Okay. Um, and then you know, Clinton Hill, um, I think it's a good value still proposition for anybody still in the marketplace, and even still Fort Greene and Bed Stuy um, has has the most trades per quarter um, since we've been tracking data because it again it's such a large that's interesting large piece of, of, of real estate yeah it's it's bigger than Park Slope and um, it's the price point it's the entry point is is so much lower like mm. I think we're averaging there last quarter a million and a half to to something like that okay. um, we, and we split that neighborhood in half because it's so big um, and the price ranging so dramatically from west to east that we've just decided to split that neighborhood in our data tracking. Um, and uh, so so many more buyers at those price points for people who want to live at homes. Um, and developers are very active there, too. So of, 1.5 gets you a townhouse? Yeah, it gets you a townhouse. Wow. You know, not... it's, you know, it's and it's probably livable. It's I'm not saying that's brand new. Maybe, right. maybe you're over two in certain neighborhoods. Again, these are like kind of averages, right? Right, right, There's right. a range of asset pricing in these neighborhoods, which are just huge. Um, so, so yeah, so yeah, so that would be kind of if you wanted to become a townhouse owner, that then then you had a limited budget. That's that's where you would go, and then you know, and then moving back in towards the, kind of the East River from there of of uh, through Clinton Hill, Fort Greene, or if you go a little bit south into Prospect Heights, which is a neighborhood that is seen a dramatic change in mm. my experience one of our shops is there on Vanderbilt um, and um, uh, it's a great kind of family-oriented lifestyle that kind of is evolving there it's very close to Prospect Park walking distance it's actually a butts Prospect Park um, and then the city's done a great job of like um, you know protecting the use of streets in certain times of the day in the summer on the weekends of their open streets program of oh, just cordoning cool. it off and people just flood flood the streets, and and there's music, and there's food. That's and awesome. Kids are playing. Yeah, it's really, it's really. Uh, I don't even, you know, it's something I would imagine maybe it was like a block party type of thing that still occurs in, in Brooklyn, um, but maybe something more you may be more familiar with as as like growing up in the suburbs, possibly yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So that's so, Prospect Heights. Prospect Heights. Yep. And what's uh, your average deal size there? You think? 
So, so I think we're around three there um, in our last quarter. I'm sorry, I don't have the report in front of me. Too. No, 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 no. I, 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 I grabbed uh, Donald from like yeah. our meeting upstairs. I was like, we're recording a podcast. Dance yeah, monkey. Yeah. And, and, those, and those numbers were down, right? Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and double check on the, on the third quarter. Um, but those third quarter numbers are definitely, uh, fourth quarter numbers are definitely down from the third quarter, which is, which is common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Third quarter of highest pricing annually based on activity, sales activity in the spring, which is, which is the most intense marketplace. Uh, so if you're a seller, you always want to be out there in the spring, spring right? Yeah. So any time of year, but if on a dollar per square foot basis, spring sellers have outperformed all other sellers um, over over the uh, twelve years we've been tracking data. So so what like Hoboken's average deal size is between it's gone up to be about low eights. Yeah. Um, to be honest, to live well in Hoboken, I think you have to be in like the million two to million six range mm-hmm. if you're going to have family and have space, outdoor mm-hmm. space, parking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we get so many people that are considering Brooklyn as well. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's actually, it's, it's, it's a very different situation. It sounds very much like we still are the lowest price for mm-hmm. what you get mm-hmm. versus Brooklyn. Or can you, can you live well in Brooklyn for under a million dollars? In a townhome? No. Just let's say, let's say a three-bedroom condo. Can you get a three-bedroom condo in Brooklyn in an area you would want to raise a, ch- a child in? Yeah, for under a million. Yeah, no, you're you're. Um, we're selling three-bedroom new product in in Carroll Gardens, and that pricing is three million. So you really have to go further out, right? So, so I think you know, in some regards, Hoboken is a very interesting value proposition. Yeah. Uh, for proximity to Manhattan, if you're if you have to go in there, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that to me, you'd have to go much further out into Brooklyn, to find pricing like that so you're traveling with again if you have to go into Manhattan right. which is less I guess today maybe that was in the past maybe it may come back to being you know yeah requiring more people to do that yeah so like sheer proximity I think it's it's an interesting value value proposition for sure mm-hmm. um, uh, so you know it's you, you could get co-op product possibly that's a little bit dated for a little over a million that's a three-bedroom maybe okay. two-bath um, uh, you know, historically, co-op product a little less demand than condo product. Condo product very familiar with foreign buyers. Co-op product not so much. There's yeah. just a lot of restrictions on co-op ownership. Yeah, uh, it's a good good news bad news thing. Uh, the whole ownership of that and um, and we only have two buildings that I know of in all of Hoboken that are co-op. Yeah, yeah. Everything's so very, so kind of unknown. Yeah, unknown almost right. Yeah, so. Co-op pretty popular, you know, in, in Manhattan and Brooklyn, um, and um, people comfortable with it. A lot of brownstones that were converted seventies uh, um, ended up co-op. Sixties, seventies ended up in co-op ownership. Uh, and small four-unit things, and mm-hmm. uh, people are familiar with that. Um, but nothing, nothing like any new condo product uh, of a similar size that's delivered today. That probably has, you know, has obviously any any large dense product is going to have a lot of amenity. Uh, choices for mm-hmm. you, which does draw a whole different pool of participant. Um, lots of fire buyers, lots of young buyers, um, professionals, um, singles, couples, um, and and again that whole pool of ownership of those buyers is, is fairly newish. It's mm-hmm. probably 10, 12 years old of scale right now, uh, and plenty of product to choose from. So. 
Um, yeah, the million the million numbers uh, would be tough. You'd have to go much further further south. Um, Bay Ridge, I mean, possibly. A, yeah, um, a million for us. You're not getting a three bedroom. You're yeah. getting you know a really nice two. Yeah. Maybe with some parking. Probably not in a doorman elevator building. Yeah, a million. You get like a two bedroom in a in a walk up. co op and yeah, a brownstone walk up kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, again, neighborhood dependent um, may need some work. Um, so yeah, so it's it's um, it's you know been creeping up over a long time. How much does it correct to the downside here? Is is um, I wouldn't be shocked if there is some softening. Um, if supply ramps up to a point where that that imbalance um, comes back into balance, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't see that right now. Okay. Um, and um, uh, it was imbalanced to begin with, uh, out of balance to begin with, and. Way more demand than, than uh, supply, and, and um, but still a fair amount of supply uh, demand uh, absorbing what's there, and not a lot of new stuff coming online. So, um, sellers, just as always, sellers need to be prudent in, in what they're seeking in resales. Right? Mm-hmm. They gotta they gotta be careful, and if uh, you want a lot um, for your home, you gotta may, maybe have to wait. Um, at the highest price again, going back to just Brooklyn Heights for a second. Um, it kind of has an elevated inventory of townhouses right now. It has for a few years, and I'm not exactly sure why that happened. I lived there, I've been there for 30 years, and um, uh, it's been fascinating to watch. Uh, it has certainly some very special assets, um, but a little bit of a glut. So if you're, you're, uh, you got a big budget and uh, maybe don't mind a project, that, yeah. that's where you should look because you're, you're going to get some protection there in, in the long run and maybe have some negotiability. It's again, most sellers I've ever kind of uh, worked with um, aren't very flexible when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, moving through an economic change. Um, they'll, they'll wait and wait and wait. Yeah. Um, state sellers, less patience, um, but people occupying their homes or don't need the money uh, necessarily, um, like an estate usually would, um, they take a very long time to make adjustments if, if it ever occurs and just wait for the cycle to come back. So. so I think speaking to the, that's all incredible information, speaking to the market itself, you know, I think we, you and I are in this, we, we own brokerages in our respective markets. Um, we are also actively selling as brokers, right? Mm-hmm. You yep. still sell? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you, like, I can't tell you how many times a day from my sphere or anyone interested, we had somebody just walk into our shop the other day and be like, is now a good time to buy? I am of the persuasion, and you tell me if you feel this way, it's very much dependent on your personal situation. Mm -hmm. If you have the money, to me, it's always a good time to buy. Mm -hmm. I think real estate is something that you buy consistently, and when the market drops or the rates drop, you just buy more. Um, And I've always felt that way. It's Mm -hmm. how I lead my personal investment existence. (laughs) Um, But I'm interested to get your take. You know, now knowing your market, is now the time to buy? Yeah, so I think if, if you are an end user, right, if you're gonna occupy mm-hmm. whatever it is, um, uh, you're, you're a lot different mindset than the, the speculative person, right? If you're, you're gonna be in a place for five, seven years, you know, 10 years, if you know that that's gonna happen, um, uh, it's never really a bad time to buy. It's you, you have a circumstance, you right. have a life, you wanna move on. Um, uh, it's just again at the end point, you know, you may have to wait or something to exit your thing because you're getting right. utility out of it. I don't think things were 
dramatically overpriced last year. I think there was natural growth and appreciation due to growing demand, not, not less in our marketplace. Um, as you may feel like reading headlines about right, urban centers right. and so forth, it doesn't, that's on the ground, that doesn't, it's not what we see. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Like everyone's <laughs> fleeing. I'm like, really? Because yeah. I've never been more busy in my entire yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. So again, urban living, I think, is here to stay. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. It certainly has challenges that you don't face in, in less dense environments, especially when you um, have issues um, of, of scale of a pandemic. But it's it's um, seems to have a life that sustains itself and draws everybody back to kind of kind of um, repopulate the place and, and even more so uh, more adding more to that. So so I would I would say you know it depends on your you know um, uh, what your expectations are right. Mm-hmm. If you have fair expectations and you come across somebody who has as a seller has fair expectations on the sell side, you're certainly. Um, get a deal done again if you're buying something in a, in a neighborhood that has low inventory um why would it not be a good time to buy, right right, right. And, and i think sellers or anybody in the marketplace right now is aware of the kind of environment of of um diminished purchasing power and maybe some softness so so they may be willing to work on it's very circumstantial right who's on the other side of that deal right what is their circumstance so you you may get what you consider a good deal um, but you're not, I would caution people against like thinking like they deserve or are in for some significant discount. I, I don't see any discount of measurable other than your typical Just discount. Just the opposite. Right? Yeah. 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 And, um, and for resales, right? I think condominium product it should be separated out and also then stratified as to how big a project is it? How deep are the pockets of that developer? How active are they as developers? you may have ability to get a better deal from a small scale developer who's new to the game or just doing smaller projects who doesn't really want to wait. You know, right. time, is, time is what kills most small scale developers. They just don't have the, the pocket, deep pockets to kind of hold things too long. So you might get a better deal there. So it's a relative measure then, like what, what's the asking price? Is that asking price the appropriate marketing price, mm-hmm. market price? And then are you getting some discount off that price? Plus all these other things we talked about before already about common charges and so forth being carried for a year or two yeah. and other benefits. So again, if you if you have a job, if you're planning on living, um, you have stability, right, in your income. Right. And you're planning to live in this neighborhood because any particular neighborhood because you, you like it for, for retail and other things, proximity to friends, colleagues, family. Um, again, 30 years, um, not no, no guarantees here. This, this is, this is, not the kind of worst case scenario of a, of a downturn that I've witnessed yet. Right. Seen much more severe. And so you're um, not worried about nuclear war. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I got never, that one never, yesterday. Never, never zero things out to zero. It's hard. It's like if there's going to be a nuclear bomb dropped on Manhattan, yeah, you're not going to be alive to sell your place. So yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's not a scenario that you have to worry about. No. So, so yeah, I mean, there's so many things in life that are always out there as risks, yeah. right? Always um, incalculable in a sense. Um, you know, if it's, you always want to have some cushion, right? In a yeah. budget, you always want to have cushion in your savings checking uh, savings account. You know, checking account would be nice too. But um, you know, don't don't overextend. Um, and if you're going to live there, and it's it's something where the marketplace is not going to be your your assets going to be diluted by continuing increases supply something. Um, long term, then, then I think you're okay. 
if you're going to buy something that is that is there's a lot of it in the marketplace yeah you might want to be a little cautious more cautious about that from a dilution standpoint but again um certain assets in in manhattan and, and brooklyn certainly and as you said in hoboken there they're not a lot of them there's right. there's a, so a few hundred, maybe a thousand or so in some of these neighborhoods, but um, not tens of thousands, and they're not adding them on. They're not expanding um, the, the, the uh, borders of these neighborhoods to, to you know, uh, out, out into the sea or elsewhere. Right. The, uh, right. You have a land grab, right? This is a fixed asset. So so I would, I would. it takes a little bit of work, right, to have that conversation with that person because you don't know what they're looking at. They don't know what they're hearing. You may, you may have an idea of what they just read or what right. they just heard. But, you know, all real estate is local, and I think people forget that often. You get really distracted by headlines. Anybody does. Human nature, right? Right. And, and most of the things that you see on, on TV or social media, uh, print, whatever, it is, it's usually national stuff and, and usually worst-case data, um, not the local picture. And, uh, um, and, you know, they're in the right place walking in asking you that question, right? Yeah. Being a local expert. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what we all pride ourselves on in this, in this particular brand and organization. Really, really understand our marketplaces um, uh, to a degree that a lot of agents, um, especially newer agents who may have come along recently, took advantage of what was going on last year as a way to produce income. Um, you have that longevity. You have the longevity of, of seeing cycles and then being very clear on what the underlying values of that asset um, and I think it's also like getting high on your own supply, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you, you should be working with an agent who believes in buying, yeah. you should be working with an agent who has assets in that community. Um, you know, you mentioned living in Brooklyn Heights, which yeah. as we've learned over the past 40 minutes is yeah. the, one, the most expensive place, you know, yeah. but same thing. I'm, I'm on 11th and Clinton in Hoboken. Yeah. Our plan is to, I would, I would die in this apartment if I could. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if my kid will allow me to remain <laughs> in this apartment, but we're certainly not bound for the burbs. Yeah. So it's one of those situations where I think if you're, you know, with an agent who's living and breathing the yeah. market that they're in yeah. and they're walking the streets and talking to the guys and seeing you know, to your point, from a local perspective, seeing the guy, the butcher of 30 years having to yeah. close up shop because rents are so high. Like, that's all on the ground, boots on the ground yeah. stuff that I feel like it, it makes it, it, it's so hard to do as an outside agent. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it really is. And, and listen, there's hundreds of us that all live in our markets that you can choose from. But yeah. it, I, that, I've always felt that, like, you have to be in the place that you're living. And that's yeah. why, like... You know, Anglo Volker speaks a lot about submarket specialization. You know, it's yeah. like I have agents that are like, "Oh, I want to get my Brooklyn license." I'm like, "No, no, here's Donald. Like, don't, <laughs> don't even begin that. Yeah. Like, you have no business being over there. Like, take yeah. a 25% referral and send it off to someone who knows what sure. they're doing." Yeah. I just did it last night. I have a clients. I love them. I've worked with them and their family for yeah. years, and they're dead set on Bayonne. Yeah, I literally had to use my GPS to get to Bayonne to show them an apartment. I'm standing in it and I'm like, guys, I have, I, I am not this person. And sure. I pass it off to one of my agents. I'm like, yeah. I would love to work with you. You've yeah. been so loyal, but I don't, I can't even find my way around here. Like, I, I think to your point, it is very local. And yeah. what's interesting is our markets, I think you have to have that global footprint from a referral perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but we, we are seeing a ton more people come from overseas. And I had seven deals last year of people moving from the States to overseas. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to continue to happen now with the dollar being so you know weak there, yeah. or strong there, rather. Um, and so I think, you know, not to be total rah-rah on Anglo and Volkers, but what's nice is they have done a really good job curating their licensed partners, making sure the people that own these places are local. Yes. 
And then at the same time, there's this massive global footprint. So you're not leaving anything on the table as far as, you know, the market that you're trying to reach. Yeah, certainly have the sphere of influence covered, clients covered. I feel very comfortable. Again, one of the things that yeah. was my kind of assumption going into this and it's proven to be the case, I couldn't meet a more qualified, capable bunch of people uh, that operate under this brand and I'm super happy about that. One thing about the, uh, just going back to what you were mentioning about somebody kind of trusting you with advice about buying in the market that you're kind of invested in, right? On one hand, you would think it's kind of, ah, well, you have a bias, right? Like, what, like, what would you not right. say? I think you got to look past that and like look at you as the business owner um, uh, investing that way that you are trying to have a relationship with somebody that is long term. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever mislead somebody as to like right. what they should do near term? It's a, it's not a sensible business model. No. Nope. And unfortunately, I see quite a few operators out there um, who probably like haven't thought it through or just not mature enough or experienced enough of not giving advice that is long-term. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe that is a little bit kind of self-serving of, of protecting your own interests, but to me it's completely aligned with the advice that you want to give to somebody. Well, if you're going to see them walking past your place, yeah. you want to maybe not have them give you the finger <laughs> as they're walking past. Yeah, 100%. You're going to cross the street every day. You're going to go back I mean, and forth just to avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that that is also important. Like these small shops principles are involved like we're there if we're yeah. not involved directly with the deal we are we are helping others um, and it's that not this detachment Correct. of just a huge force of agents and some manager who may not even be in the marketplace right, right. could be right now in some other part of the country mm -hmm. with oversight of that group of agents and that's the way those companies manage costs and and look at their share price and all that kind of bottom line stuff well obviously we have bottom lines we need to pay our bills. Yeah. I've invested in this thing like probably no other operator is in, in, in my marketplace as far as committing to the to the long term. And um, again, it's it's yeah. I think we're all on the same page there, which is which is great because it's um, it uh, it's more than just pride in that respect. It's like we're we're in this together and, and you know a very strong shared mindset of, of doing the right thing and. and uh, delivering a service that nobody else can deliver. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, this, this is, yeah, I literally told Donald an hour ago, I was like, we're going to do a podcast. And he looked at me like, what? We have no plans. <laughs> um, so this was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you tell everyone how to reach you if they're looking in the Brooklyn market? Sure, yeah. Um, I am, um, my email, uh, phone number first, 917-568-6525. That's 917-568-6525. Call, text me there. Email address is my name, Donald.Brennan, that's B-R-E-N-N-A-N, at E as in Edward, V as in Victor, real estate, Engel and Volkers real estate.com. Um, those are the easiest ways. Um, I'm on Instagram as at Donald Trust Advisor. I'm going to tag, I'm gonna tag that, you yeah. anyway, yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, <laughs> cell phone, always the easiest, quickest way to get in touch. Uh, text if I don't pick up. Um, and if I can't help you directly, I certainly put you in the hands of the person who's uh, most qualified. Amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank cool. you. As always, a blast. Have a good one. <laughs>